Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and the message is entitled, The Gift of Salvation. Paul the Apostle has given the Ephesians a very vivid picture of the past darkness of those in the first Adam, their position in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Dead in trespasses and sins, as once we all walked after the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, all of us, at one time conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind, and were children of wrath by nature under God's wrath. That offends many people because they categorize themselves not according to the gospel, but according to man or religious standards. But equally, Paul has provided another vivid picture of their present position. Verse 1 through 3 was their past position. He's talking to the Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. Their present position in Christ, in the last Adam, dead in trespasses, the first Adam. Position now saved, the last Adam. Don't call him second, last Adam. There's only two, first and last. In verse 4 to 7, he says that now we are alive together with Christ, raised up together and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What a contrast that only God can make. And so now... Paul gives the reason God will display his church in the ages to come. It is that he alone saves sinners. And it's going to be characterized by three things. Let me read here our text. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast, or anyone, now, our text is characterized by the three following things. First, the proclamation regarding salvation, the first part of eight. Secondly, the explanation regarding salvation. And thirdly, the exclusion regarding salvation, verse 9. The first two out of eight. The last one in verse 9. Let's begin here with the proclamation regarding salvation. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the manner by which God saves every sinner. For by grace you have been saved. The word for in the Greek introduces the reason God will display the exceeding riches of his grace in the future ages to come as you follow the teaching here. Because God is the initiator when we were dead in trespasses and sins. Because God is the transactor making us alive together with Christ, sitting us in the heavenlies. 
And because God is the displayer in the ages to come. Now notice grace, as we know, is the unmerited favor or undeserved favor of God. The origin and source provided for salvation. The article appears before grace. The Greek scholars tell us literally the grace reads, By the grace, a very specific one. Paul has declared about this grace, By grace you have been saved, as a parenthetical commentary there in verse 5. Paul again, notice in verse 7, mentioned the grace that God will reveal the exceeding riches of his, the grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. He's talking about the one with the argument, the grace. Paul now is exemplifying the nature of the grace in salvation, very specific. In other words, God did not save us because he felt indebted to us, nor did God save us because we deserve it. Notice, still innate there, the Apostle Paul declared the meaning by which God saves every sinner. The means. Listen, through faith. The manner, now the means. Through grace. Faith is not just um, believing in God or in the existence of some cosmic force that is in control of the universe. The word faith, as you know, means conviction of the truth of something. Believe, trust, in the gospel revealed. Very specific. Faith is produced by the Holy Spirit in a person, not their own. When they hear the word of God regarding their need of salvation, God initiates and faith is produced by God. Okay? But man is the instrument and the vehicle. He's not responsible for it, but he is part of it. So this is where a lot of people get in difficulty with it. Faith is the subjective medium or instrument for the process of salvation. Faith is necessary as a condition that must be met. Without faith, no one can be saved. There's no exception. For saving faith to be biblical, it must be based on the revelation of God's word and responded to in belief. So if I'm going to believe that something is biblical, then it must be related to what God has revealed about himself, a person, sin, or whatever it may be. Because God has made known to us things that there's no other way we can know them unless he would make them known. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no way we could ever even guess that. He reveals it perfectly. Now, 
Faith in God's word means a total dependency and trust on the work of Christ, the object and person of our faith. Because he's dealing here in Ephesians about salvation through Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Only one person. This object and person is the object of our faith. Never just a cause. Never just a force. Never just a group of people. And it is that Jesus is God who became man. Through the incarnation in John 1, 1 and 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is crazy. That is incomprehensible if man revealed it. Where would he get that? But when God reveals that, it's absolute truth. That God answered the prayer of Isaiah, all that you would rent the heavens and come down. And he responded to the promise he gave in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. God came down, conceived by the Spirit of God, in a literal womb, literal nine months, a literal birth, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. He revealed this. Now, also, that Jesus is the Savior of the world in John four forty two. In other words, there is no one else who can save. Also, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who became sin for us and died in my place to justify me before God, even as John the Baptist pointed in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and and also, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, and many, many others. Now, also that he alone can impart eternal life. Um, the whole purpose of uh, John writing his gospel is given to us in John 20.31, and that he, in believing you might have eternal life. The very invitation of John 3.16 is to have eternal life. God didn't send the Son to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The world is the world. That means everybody, not just the chosen frozen. We'll get into that a little bit, okay? Jesus died for every person on earth that would ever be born. Very important. And so Paul says, bury with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead in Colossians 2.12. Now, Notice Paul the Apostle declared this grace through faith places both Jew and Gentile on equal positions before God. And this is the focus of Ephesians, Jew and Gentile 1. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, the Gentiles were dead in trespasses and sins, as we've noted. In verse 2, the Gentiles were walking according to the course of the year, the prince of the power of the year, working now in the children of disobedience. And in verse 3, the Jews also conducted themselves in the lust of their flesh, giving in to the desires of the body and mind, being children of wrath uh, by nature, like the Gentiles. There is basically no difference between anyone. Uh, people always want to make a distinction between people, whether it be race, whether it be economics, or whatever it may be. But when you come before God, there is no distinction we all have the same common denominator. We're all sinners. We all miss the mark. 
none can earn or deserve salvation. Therefore, no one can boast. Now, Paul gave the present saved life of the Gentile and Jews. In verse 4, here chapter 2, but God, rich in mercy, saved them both, Jew and Gentile. In 5, but God made them both alive together with Christ by grace. Verse 6, but God raised them both alive and to sit together with Christ in the heavenlies. Verse 7, but God will display both revealing the riches of his grace in the ages to come. Because God made both Jew and Gentile one, and he broke down the middle wall of division, Ephesians 2.14. The Jew exalted themselves above the Gentile, thinking that they were the chosen frozen. Better when the Gentile was always included in Genesis 12.3, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And yet taking that badge of superiority, the Gentile world was supposed to come into the nation of Israel to proselyte, we saw. Some of them, some of the proselytes that came in, Bathsheba's husband and others. But they failed to do this. And the church now is supposed to preach the gospel. And now we go out to the nations. The nations were to come into the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was theocracy. The church of Jesus Christ is different. Though it's a theocracy in terms that he rules us as, as a people, it's not a nation now that he's ruling over. But Jew and Gentile, one, a complete different relationship. One's the wife, the other one's the bride to be married. Now notice the specific grace, the grace, and we know that with the article, assures both Jew and Gentile that they were saved. The perfect tense in the present there, or the passive, the completed past action is indicated with present results in the present time, giving duration as a force, the finished result justification, sanctification, and justification. So in the mind of God, he can say something before it happens, before it happens, because he knows the end from the beginning. For him, it's no problem at all. They were to know the power of God, notice, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as he declared in chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raised them from spiritual death. That happened to you, that happened to them. Our salvation is described in a threefold process in the scriptures. You have been saved, Ephesians 2.8. You are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18. And you shall be saved, Hebrews 9.28. Three tenses, threefold process. Now, three wonders in heaven, John Newton said. He illustrates this perfectly, salvation. He says, quote, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonderful things there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. 
The second one will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and the greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Uh, you might be listening and thinking um, that you're not that bad. You might be over the internet or maybe you're here. So um, you really don't need grace to be saved. You're positive. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. Let me ask you, have you ever lied? Stolen anything? Have you ever committed fornication? Lusted in your heart? Have you ever deceived or used a person to get your own way, bringing misery and pain to their life? Yes, the question, the answer is yes to every one of these. Maybe not all of the things I mentioned, but you have not only committed and I some of these things, but many others we have not mentioned. And so the wages of sin is death. What are you going to do on the judgment day when what you have to give account for merits death? And death is eternal death, not physical death. The physical death just prepares you for the spiritual death, the second death. Pretty awesome thought. Listen to the scriptures. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. That word unprofitable is the word that is used for um, produce. It's good for nothing. If you've ever worked in the store, you work produce, it's the only thing you get no credit on. It's perishable. Okay? Perishable. Unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not even you. One. Romans 3. 10 through 12. So the gospel is very, very clear. And people, because they understand the clarity of the gospel, get offended. If they didn't understand it, they wouldn't get offended. They go, wow, it's Greek to me. You might argue, how can God require that salvation be only by faith? In Jesus Christ. You might ask, you mean to tell me that all religions are wrong? Listen to me carefully. Yes. You mean to tell me there is no other mediator apart from Jesus Christ? Yes, there's no mediator apart from him. You mean to tell me that no matter what sins I have committed, Jesus will forgive me for them and make me a new creature? Yes. Because he has revealed it. And God cannot lie. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. In that one statement, you've heard me said it more than you can imagine through the past almost 40 years. He destroyed every ism, every religion, Every philosophy, every promise by anyone 
in any point in history that gives you a sure way, a promise to heaven. He destroyed it all. They're all wrong. Wow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. It's the proclamation of the gospel that produces faith. Paul said, it pleased God to save men by the foolishness of preaching. Not the preaching of foolishness, but by the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> the God would use such a foolish medium to preach to save people. <laughs> Amazing. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. And so the proclamation regarding salvation is by the grace of God. Second, notice there's still Nate. The explanation regarding salvation is given to us. The Apostle Paul exhorted um, to clarify what he means about salvation. And that not of yourself. The Greek scholars, again, tell us the following. And follow this very carefully. The word that is in the neuter singular pronoun. Linsky, A.T. Robertson, Wies. Three very recognized Greek scholars. Therefore, it does not refer to the word grace or faith. Both words are feminine. The neuter singular pronoun refers to the divine act of saving the sinner. How often you have people try to tell you that it talks about the faith or the grace. No, the Greek indicates the gift of salvation, not the manner or the means. Calvinists use this all the time. Okay? Now, The salvation is not, nor can it be credited to man. He says, not of yourself. The word of, ek, means out from a person being saved. The point being that the act of salvation is not of human origin. Okay? It doesn't start with him. It's not sourced in him. The sinners, prior to hearing the gospel, we've already noted, are dead in trespasses and sins in verse 1. Okay? In verse 2, sinners are following the world. Satan, disobedient children of wrath. But once the gospel is preached, God initiates he illuminates to bring about faith, enabling man to respond, which has nothing to do with works, as many Calvinists say at this point. My response is not a work. God initiates. I respond. It has to do with human responsibility and accountability to God. A man's initiation of loving a woman... And her response is not a work on her part. It's a response to the initiation. It's a compliment. 
the act and product of salvation is whole and only and by God. By grace through faith, the manner and the means. But the focus is the act of salvation. The clarity of salvation being of God does not mean that man is passive toward salvation, nor is it a contradiction of salvation being of God alone. We've talked about predestination and free will many, many times. Both are biblical. They're not contrary or contradictory. They complement each other. Predestination and free will in this complement work out salvation in a way that God, again, is the initiator and man is the responder. Man is responsible regarding his choice to be saved. We do not believe the doctrine of salvation by the way Calvinism teaches it, that God predestines the few to be saved and predestined the remainder of humanity to damnation. That is unbiblical. He died for the whole world. And they can give you all kinds of rationales, just like they would say you're working for salvation. It is not a work. It's a response. If God forced people to be saved while forcing others to perish, then how can God be just and holy when both groups deserve hell? So you guys here on the left side, you deserve hell. You guys over here deserve hell too, on the right side. But I'm going to choose you on the left to go to heaven just because I want to. And you guys over here on the right, you get to go to hell. Because I want to. But I'm declaring to you I am holy. I am just. I am perfect in wisdom. I can make no bad judgment. Does that correlate? Of course it doesn't. It's unbiblical. It's flat out heresy. But God did it this way. You on the left, you on the right, and you guys in the balcony, as well as me. We all deserve hell. But God sent the Son to die for all of us. When he said it is finished at the cross, he didn't stutter. He spoke clearly. The debt has been paid. All are invited to be saved. But he doesn't force you to be saved. If you believe what God says about you and agree with him and call on his name, you can and will be saved. If you're offended and rejected or just ignore it, you will not be saved. Not because God didn't want to save you or didn't make provisions to save you. It's because you did not believe the provisions or the provisions offended you. Now God demonstrates his holiness being justified, his justice being uh, justified also, so that he must judge sin either on his son or the person who sees himself apart from the son. 
Now, none of his attributes are contradicted. He is totally who he is and who he says he is. Holy, just, and good. You see? So you have to think and run through the scriptures what people tell you about God. All right? Because if you follow the logic of Calvinism, you have been so predestined that there's no even need of you hearing the gospel. If God is predestined, you're going to be in heaven whether you like it or not. Wow. They would never allow free will for a person. Though some of them will say, yes, read the writings. They cannot allow man's free will. And if they do allow man's free will, this is the only free will they allow you. You only have a free will to say no if God did not predestine you. Well, if I have a free will to reject, then I must have a free will to accept. Can't be one way. So they use the word inability that the Bible never uses. It's not about inability. It's about unbelieving, rejecting. Real simple. Wow. Every prefix of the acronym TULIP is not biblical. The doctrines are found in the Bible, but not the prefixes. They're completely contrary to the scriptures. They're unbiblical. Now notice still in 8, the Apostle Paul specified what salvation is to man. It's a gift to God. God is the possessor of the gift of salvation. He created man in the image and likeness of God back in Genesis 1.26. He promised Adam the plan of salvation, the Messiah, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. And God is the giver of the gift of salvation. We have already stated that God is the initiator in salvation and man is the respondent to salvation. The word gift here is the word dorma or doran. It simply means a present and is emphatic in the Greek here. It's a gift. Man is the potential recipient of the gift of salvation if he meets the conditions. How often we hear it is absolutely free. Yes, it's free, but someone paid the price. We say it's unconditional. No, it isn't unconditional. Faith in the gospel is key. It must meet the condition of faith in the gospel, conviction of their lost condition, and need of salvation and Savior of Jesus Christ, repentance from their sins, asking forgiveness. And if God has predestined some to be saved already and there is nothing they can do about it, then the conditions of faith and repentance are really unnecessary and a mockery, aren't they? If I've already been predestined, there's nothing I can do, then why preach? Why ask me to accept? It's a contradiction, right? Wow. 
And they always pride themselves on being so intellectual. Hmm. For a gift to be valid, there must be two things present. The person giving the gift, so God was not compelled or forced to save sinners. God's motivation was his agape love. He made the provision of salvation because he loved man. Remember, he told Israel, you know, I didn't choose you because you were more in number or because you're, you know, you're mighty or anything else. Because I love you. Wow. Love is the purest form and the purest motivation for anything you do. In fact, that's why God's going to reward us. Not how much we've done or what we've done, but why or how we've done it. Have we done it? I've got love for God and love for people. Then we got reward. If not, there's nothing there. So, now, the person then accepting the gift is the other part, right? There has to be the one giving, the other one accepting. The sinner is not compelled or forced by God to accept the gift of salvation. You ever go to somebody's house and you give them a present and they say, no, no, thank you, I don't want it. And you say, you're going to take it. No, I don't want it. Can you, can you force that gift on them? No. You cannot force a gift on anybody. The sinner responds to the love of God for him in the offer of salvation. The gift is meaningful only when it is given and received by one's own free will. The sinner is thankful to God. The sinner loves God. The sinner now is a child of God. Because he has heard the good news. And he has responded to the good news. Whenever any, again, predestination is biblical, free will is biblical, okay? Whenever people try to confuse you, always let scripture interpret scripture. Go back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, there's the key. Whoever believes, okay? That's the key. Some believe, some do not believe. Those that believe, get eternal life. Those who do not believe, reject eternal life. Real simple. Having the right key to open the lock on a door and have access is important. You may believe the key you have is the genuine or the correct one. But if it isn't, your belief will not make it so. It won't make it so. The same with salvation. Only Jesus can save. Some um, educators of the centuries past to the present have concluded that... um, their intellectual accomplishment at times or contributions to society make them more worthy than others. We see that more than ever before today in our society. You have the elite society, right? Our politicians, they think we're a bunch of idiots and they're the smart ones. So we can't make, we we don't even know how to vote, how to put a simple card and put it in two little posts there, you know? Make two holes go through it. So we have to be schooled like little kids or something, right? 
And so you always have this elitism. Yet, some of them, though they profess to be so smart, educators or whatever they may be, have and had marriages and divorces like other people. They have failed in marriage. Yet they declare to be so accomplished, so smart. They suppose that their intellectual superiority is superior, yet it has not kept them from being liars, stealing, being dishonest. The certainty of the origin of man through evolution compels them to deny God, even to mock God. Yet right now they're in a little tissy because they just found out in the cell of the animal they can only go so many years. It's not billions anymore. So they're going crazy, just like the speed of light, uh, 186,000 miles uh, a second. And, And yet they believe it's slowing down. So the, the quote-unquote scientific community is, is, is in a little bit of a trouble right now in different ways. and always has been. Now, science is science. Scientific principles in that. Gravity is gravity. You drop something, it's going to fall. If it doesn't, you, something's contradicting that, okay? Either God's a miracle or, or, or there's a vacuum of air that man has put. But natural laws, they are the same. They're consistent. Science is consistent. But the hypothesis of scientists are not consistent with science all the time. They're passed off to be scientific, but they're not. Very simple biology 101 is that anything to be scientific has to be observable and be able to be duplicated in the lab. Wow, they're in trouble. Big trouble. 1 Corinthians one twenty says... Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Absolutely. Not one person that is in hell now or that will stand before Jesus at the white throne judgment will say, I could have saved myself. Every person will be quiet. They will not have a word to say. You remember when your dad or mom busted you and you thought you had it and they busted you. And they say, what do you have to say to yourself? You didn't say a thing. That's, that's a shadow. That was scary. But nothing compared before God. Those who have rejected the gospel are now in hell. Sadly, and they know they deserve hell. What they would give to hear the gospel one more time. They will also know at the wise throne judgment that they deserve the punishment they will receive. They will know they should have responded to be saved and receive salvation as a gift, and will know for all eternity that they rejected. The gift. They made this decision. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You see, God always gives choices. What did he give Adam and Eve in the garden? Choice. Don't eat this. You can eat this. But if you eat this, there's consequences. Here you have choices again. Does God force them? No. He gives them a choice. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side um, of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 14, and 15. A choice. No one's ever compelled. No one's ever forced. If God would force you to go to heaven, he would be unjust. And if you hadn't repented, it wouldn't be heaven anymore. You'd ruin it. If God would force you to go to hell without giving you a choice, then God couldn't be just either. Wow. The explanation regarding salvation is it's a gift to God. Simple. Now notice third and last, the exclusion regarding salvation. And we've been implying about it. Verse 9. The Apostle Paul declared works have nothing to do with salvation. Not of works. Paul is not talking specifically about the works under the Mosaic law here. The Jews had to keep the commandments, the precepts, the statutes, the judgment, but none of them ever saved them. Okay? The Jews were to keep all the feasts, particularly the Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, presenting themselves three times a year before God. But uh, that did not save them. Paul is speaking in general to G about Jesus here um, to the Jews um, and Gentile about anything a person would consider doing to be sufficient to obtain salvation in what they did. So that if they did certain things, then that would equal their ability to save themselves or be the source or the origin of their salvation. Some of these Gentiles came out of religious, ascetic religious, uh, and they carried over into their pagan theology of works. They just carried on in. And there were works that they probably believed that, you know, they're denying themselves certain pleasures for a set time or food, so I must merit something. Dedicating themselves to a life of poverty, maybe, for life. That doesn't merit salvation. Diligently doing good for those less fortunate. That doesn't merit salvation. Delivering the oppressed and slaves from tyrants. Good works, but that doesn't merit salvation. Others of the Gentiles came out of very sensual and corrupt religions. They could have considered their sexual 
abstinence and purity now is deserving salvation, which would then exclude grace and faith. But that doesn't save you. He could have considered not partaking in the botched drunken feast as deserving salvation, yet faith and works are exclusive and opposite to each other. They could have considered not partaking in the offering of their pagan gods as a work to earn salvation, which would be a contradiction to the gift of salvation. So God has done it in such a way, ladies and gentlemen, that we are all busted. We have no grounds for boasting. It's all the work of God. So Paul, the apostle here, declared boasting has nothing to do with salvation, lest anyone should boast, because this is the natural tendency on anything we do. Let me, let me change that. Everything we do. <laughs> Paul focuses, notice, on the reason God designed salvation to be all his own doing. The word lest is what's called a purpose clause, a henna clause. Whenever you find the word henna, it's a purpose clause. For this reason, when the word henna is found, it is called a purpose clause. The word anyone covers any, all people. No one's excluded. In any generation, any nation, any culture. Notice that the Bible doesn't make anything to do about your culture, your race, your sexuality. He says neither Jew, Gentile, Scythian, Barbarian, male, female, bond, free. None of that matters. Why? Because they're all sinners. There's the common denominator. Politicians, educators will want to divide you through your race, through your culture, through your sexuality to destroy society, to empower them over smaller groups, to make them be pitted against one another. Wow. The purpose is stated, should boast, means to glory, to take credit, to point to something for the salvation God has given to them. The Greek scholars again here say this is an error's middle voice, meaning literally in order that no one should ever get to boast. The middle voice always is the individual doing it himself. Jew or Gentile, as I said, bond or citizen, male or female, slave or free. Doesn't matter. The plain reason, since we are saved by grace, since we are saved through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, since both grace and faith are the divine process for the product of salvation, since salvation is the gift of God. Not even Abraham could boast of works before God, Romans 4, 1 through 4 says. He said, if he had somewhere to boast, fine, but not before God. He's a golden calf. <laughs> He's the father of the faith. You remember Simon the Pharisee looked down on Jesus 
And the harlot came in and washed them. The feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped them with her hair in Luke seven thirty six to fifteen and um, being very smug, Jesus says, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. He says, Say on, Master. He says, You know, Master had two debtors and, you know, creditors, and they owed him this and that, and he says, and he forgave them both. He says, Which one will love the most? The guy think you're real smug. He said, Well, the one who owed the most. And he looked he probably didn't even look at the woman. He kept looking at Simon and he pointed to the woman, the prostitute. He says, you see this woman? All you see is a whore. This woman loves much because she was forgiven much. Wow. Amazing. You have to remember that. I have to remember that every day of my life. Every day. Man. Salvation is available to all sinners as a gift, yet not all will receive it tragically. In the short 45 years that I've walked with God, I've seen God do an incredible work in people's lives. But I've also seen an incredible rejection of the gospel of God. Some right off the bat, some after many years. He turned away from God. Most decisions are made by teenagers. The older you get, the greater miracle you are. I've told you about my friend, Joey Hernandez. Forty years praying for him. Forty years visiting his mom and his family. And I talked to him once in a while. And then his mom dies three years ago and he gets saved. Forty years. Wow. What a joy. I, oh, I can't believe it. That fair God, you know, all the stuff that he did and I didn't get to do. What a joy. What an exciting joy that he's going to be in heaven. Wow. The way all sinners will respond in the gospel is forever recorded. At the crucifixion of Jesus, you have the two thieves, both of them heard, one accepted, the other one rejected. Today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43 says. It's the only way you can respond, accept or reject. Salvation will always be distorted by those who mix works and grace for salvation. It's a misrepresentation of Christianity. It is a contradiction of the gospel. It is an offense to the grace of God. And Paul and James do not contradict each other. Paul denies works prior to salvation. And James affirms that after salvation, the evidence that you're saved is there'll be works in your life. But not to be saved, but as a result of being saved. No contradiction. Paul is before the cross. James is after the cross. No contradiction. Who when Jesus had received, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. John 19.30. The work of salvation finished. At the cross. Salvation is God's um, give, receives glory in, in one thing alone. Jesus. Jeremiah 29.24 says, but let him who glories glory in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord Yahweh. Exercising loving kindness. Uh, judgment. 
and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord Yahweh. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. I love that scripture. I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. In other words, the good that I am and transformation is due to God, not myself. In, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 31, Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the things that are wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord completely. What do you have that you have received, Paul says? Then why are you boasting? First Corinthians 4, 7. Everything I have, I've received of the Lord. So how can I boast about it? But we do. Somehow we, we, we want to tweak it. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, that can only identify the church before the throne of God prior to the tribulation and great tribulation. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Revelation 3, 10, and many other passages. Every tongue, every people, every nation, one gospel. One decision. Either accept or reject. All come the same way. Wow. How wise is God? <laughs> the exclusion regarding salvation is the glory that belongs only to God. Which really is an exclusion by the person rejecting the gospel. But that even brings him glory because he does not force anybody to be saved. And so Paul has declared the reason God will display his church in the age to come. That he alone saves sinners. And it's characterized by these three things. The proclamation regarding salvation is by the grace of God. The explanation regarding salvation is the gift of God. And the exclusion regarding salvation is the glory that 
belongs only to God. When you reject that, then you exclude yourself from the greatest gift that God has ever given to man. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your gift to us. As we pray, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would um, plead with you that you would open your heart to God and call upon his name, balcony floor, maybe the internet, wherever you are. There is nothing that he cannot forgive. He, um, he calls and he knocks on the heart of all that they might respond one way or the other. But he does not make that decision for you. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, God loves you and he wants to forgive and save you. And so we pray that even now, right where you sit, a simple prayer of salvation, he will forgive you right now and make you his child by grace through faith. Simple, simple prayer. This is your prayer to him if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.